let's talk about Barbie. What we think, what we think is the reason for Barbie's success. I have some theories. All right, here we go. Barbie has made $351 million. It made 20, it made, uh, oh my goodness. It made $93 million this past weekend. <laughs> that's crazy. So it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're now at Sunday. So that's the projected total, about 93 altogether. For, right? the, for, for its second week in release. Yeah, that's right. amazing. So what, is it, what kind of percentage drop does that represent? That's the, that's the key thing. It says 40. Not much, I imagine. But well, I don't know. Yeah, 42% is what it says. And then for Oppenheimer, it's 44%. Same thing. Mm -hmm. um, Oppenheimer has made $174 million. It made $46 million last weekend, which is still pretty good. That's um, wonderful. I'm very, very happy for Chris Nolan and for, for everybody if they have enough of an interest in a movie that I didn't really think that's satisfying. Although, I obviously, it's a first-rate film. But it's not a satisfying film. It's big. And everybody loves it, thinks that more of it than I do. I think it's wonderful. I think that, that that is such a good thing. And I hope that more films like that, which there won't be, of course, no. <laughs> for another year or two. I don't know that they can capture lightning in a bottle like that again yeah. with Barbenheimer, with the two movies together. Mm. Um, obviously, Barbie drove a lot of people to Oppenheimer, right? Yeah. Um, yep. So Sound of Freedom is at $148 million. And Mission Impossible is only at 139 million. I thought that was going to be the big winner of the summer and of the year, and it's not. That uh, is really weird. Yeah. Mission Impossible, the big, unstoppable, speeding I know. train of the summer, 139 after, what is it, three weeks? Three weeks. Four weeks? Yeah. That's really, really curious. I don't understand. There's nothing about that film that is. Um, that you can say, well, that didn't work, or you know, some most of it's good. It's there's it, it's, it doesn't disappoint. It's so good. But so, somebody said, uh, oh yeah, it was uh, Bill McCarty going up to New York. He he was uh, talking to some people in the Hamptons, and somebody said uh, to him after seeing first week, that was an awful lot of hoo-ha for just a key, for just getting hold of a key, and they thought, well, okay, you know. Uh, I guess we'll see the next one. But they weren't like, oh, I can't wait to see the next one. You know, it's like they they sensed uh, or, or observed that it was a lot of uh, elaboration upon, uh, you know, maybe it was it didn't have to be a two-parter, but they decided to make it a two-parter. Yeah. So that's, that's it. I, I, so. The only thing I can come up with, because Indiana Jones is also at $167 million after five weeks, which is really, really low. Um Five weeks it is, yes. Elemental is at uh, 144. Like a lot of these movies are just not doing very well. And, and the only thing I can come up with is that people are less interested in visual effects and they're more interested in storytelling. Um, and I think that, that seems to be the case, you know, but uh, they've been, but, but can you blame the soulless Hollywood people? Because people have said over and over for how many since um, Iron Man came along. What they're interested in and really want to stay with is IP, fantasy, yeah. horrible IP, and they and they all. That's of a sudden I think that's oh, they have to conclude that that's over. That's over now. Well, thank God if it is. Yeah, I, I mean, think they have to look for. I think they're going to take. I hope they don't take the wrong message from Barbie because let's talk about Barbie for a minute. Yeah, um, well, you know what the wrong message is. Let's yeah. make more toy movies. Yeah, that's right. And, and how many Mattel projects? Fourteen are in the in the hopper now in the works. We're going to see 
horrible films coming out of this idea that it's not that people want you know interesting complex layered cinema that actually is about something that that actually has a voice but but they want toy movies. that's what oh, yeah. we're gonna see more marvel they yeah. that's right and i think that i think that part of it is over for them and the reason i think it's over is that they wokeified it they took the brands and they made them not mission impossible though that so that doesn't explain that one but um so let's talk about barbie and oppenheimer my yeah. my theory as i told you i think last time was that i think what drew people to barbie and, and oppenheimer the barbenheimer phenomenon was the way that they they put these two the way they put these two lead characters together to create a kind of traditional Hollywood movie, the very feminine girl and the very masculine man mm-hmm. and, and very conventional old time vintage Hollywood uh, of the two of them together. And I feel like people are craving that and they're missing that because they don't see it very often anymore. Look, Barbie isn't a love story, but the fans wanted to create a love story with Barbenheimer. They kind of, reimagined it as a love story, mm. which I thought was interesting. It's kind of showing you where people are leaning a little bit. And, you know, Jeff, it, it makes sense when you think about everything we've lived through in the last few years with the bummers, uh, one after the other. Maybe people are just looking to feel something, you know, to really feel something as opposed to just be razzle-dazzled by the or impressed by the visual effects. They want to feel something. They want to feel a relationship. They want to see a love story, maybe. Um, but they didn't get that with Barbie. But what they did get with Barbie was a very unique take by Greta Gerwig um, and funny, right? They're, they're seeing something they've never seen before mm-hmm. beca- because of her take on the movie, I think, is, is that her and mm-hmm. Noah Baumbach created this kind of odd thing that people had never seen before and they all wanted to see it. Everybody had to see it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but I don't think you can replicate that just by saying, oh, yeah, let's make a Bratz doll with Lena Dunham or whatever it is that they're <laughs> doing. <laughs> but, um, but I think that the other thing I think about Barbie, and this is the more controversial thing that I'm about to say, which is that mm-hmm. I don't even know if I'll leave it in, but I just want to tell you honestly what I think. Mm-hmm. I was watching a video of these these sort of, I guess you could call them right-leaning people on YouTube talking about this movie, and they were saying how it was accidentally... Uh, non-woke. It was accidentally based, is what they call it. Based is the opposite of woke. Mm-hmm. And one of the points they brought out was that it's unusual to see a movie with with blonde protagonists now. Um, white blonde protagonists in the lead. But I think that the country is still white majority. And and you can call them racist if you want, but the well, fact- racist would say that, Sasha. I know, I know. <laughs> Just let me finish. Just let me finish. I think that people people like to see themselves reflected on screen, and yes, it's so it's fair that they have been, at, you know, aiming towards di- diversity and inclusion so that other people who aren't white can be represented. But I think for the big money you're talking about, I think that the majority of people are going to be drawn to that which reflects them. Um, yeah, but wait a minute. Barbie is completely, uh, uh, you know, DEI, you know. It it's isn't, a, it's, though, because it's right? all the publicity and stuff was Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, mainly. Okay. They, mm-hmm. kept the, they kept the America Ferrera story hidden, I think, from the publicity, which was pretty cynical of them. They also kept all the political themes hidden, the feminism stuff hidden. They oh, really, naturally. 
the you mean, and they and they kept, of course, the misandry hidden, and that's yeah. about as consistent a, a characteristic of that film as anything. Now, now and imagine the, that someone had seen the movie, like uh, two weeks before, prior, or a month prior, and it, and yeah. you know, people like Ben Shapiro or whatever or the right had gotten a hold of that, and then it turned into a thing, a Bud Light kind of thing. It mm-hmm. never would have made as much money. Um, mm. I, I don't think it's particularly off-putting myself watching it. Um, I thought it was funny across the board. I laughed so hard, and I was really grateful to, at, at least the first time I saw it. The second time, it wasn't as funny. But the first time, it, it was really funny, I thought. But I do think that it is, it is, as we talked about on the phone the other day, deeply man-hating. <laughs> it's like, no question about it. it. It's really, but this is the interesting thing about Barbie, and this is why I took my hand off even though it is deeply misandrous and deeply man-hating. I, I didn't altogether mind because I was having a good time with it. Yeah, anyway. exactly. Same so, thing. Yeah, no, same for me. No. I enjoyed yeah. it enough that I'd even see it again. Like, But I do wonder about those scenes that I think were, I thought, kind of hurtful in the in the way that men were singing to the girls to try to impress them or, mm-hmm. um, you know, talking about the godfather and this and that. I just felt mm-hmm. like... That was a little below the belt. You know, men are men are put into the position of always making the first move, of always doing the first kiss, of always being chivalrous, but not being too chivalrous. Like just like that guy's thing that you posted. Mm-hmm. And so that's a lot of pressure on a guy, yep. you know. And and women don't have that pressure because women are, you know, to be wooed. And, you know, you're lucky if you get wooed. But I you know, it just that part of it sort of left a, a, a bad taste in my mouth. I thought it was a little bit unfair and kind of mean, even though they didn't intend it to be, I don't think, mean. Well, they didn't finally intend it to be mean because they did <clears throat> make a, a fast-moving, spritzy, charming film in many ways. But it is, if you look at what it's actually about, what it's radiating, it's not mean, but it's certainly condemning. It's certainly full of contempt. They didn't really dress it up. Um, effectively that's what it is no question yeah but it doesn't you know it's 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 the kind of thing people just haven't been getting lately i think with with margot robbie even even that jennifer lawrence comedy there was something about it that just didn't feel like it was going to go all the way and be funny at least with barbie because they had so many male characters they were able to make it funny in a way that a lot of movies can't for fear of offending the audience. You know, if they keep it on the men, then they don't have to worry about offending because nobody cares if you um, offend. But, you know, when I heard a good criticism of Barbie, which was that, you know, they allow for all these diverse women, you know, uh, disabled Barbie, trans Barbie, mm-hmm. um, overweight Barbie. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the men have to all be chiseled and perfect and, you know. <laughs> They don't have any like plus size men Barbies or um, disabled men Barbies, you know. So I thought that was kind of funny because it's true they they do have an imbalance there. Uh, the men all have to still be perfect. Yep. Um, but anyway, I'm happy for her that she's had this huge success. I mean, this is a big deal for Greta Gerwig, a very big deal. And um, you know, look, she she could pretty much ride her own ticket now, and that's a lot of pressure to be under. Uh, to to live up, but I I think that she has a success now, and she's pretty much made it. She has two kids. She's got a guy she likes, and she's got this movie. You know, what? and so she's going to piss it away on making two Narnia movies. Well, two of 
Not one, two of them. And, and we have to like react to it and get into it and watch it and think about it. <laughs> what, a, what an awful thing to do with opportunity to make a Narnia movie. Well, I'm honest. Well, okay, but just to play devil's advocate, because I, I never read the books, what's wrong with making a Narnia movie? <clears throat> Didn't we see a Narnia movie a little while ago? I Ten years ago? We saw The Hobbits. Eight bunch of. We saw. We didn't have a, there are no Narnia movies, no Chronicles of Narnia. I don't think so. I think that we just saw Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, and all that. Maybe she likes the books. I don't know. I don't want to see fantasy movies. I don't want to see talking animals. I really hate that shit. I honestly hate <laughs> talking it. Talking animals. And I really want to see movies about ourselves and about this difficult path that we're all on. And I don't want to see, you know. <clears throat> Something that um, Balzac would have done, you know, stories about ourselves, stories about the way it is out there. I just hate fantasy. Well, I, I was thinking That's about that, sick. too. And the thing is, is you and I are no longer the focus for any Hollywood storytellers. And they don't care. They, they've moved on to Gen Z. That's all they really care about now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're not really going to find a lot of that. Uh and I think with Greta Gerwig, I think she's very ambitious. I think she turns out to be more ambitious than people probably thought. Um, she doesn't just want, obviously doesn't just want to be a little indie director. She wants to play with the big boys. She wants to be known as a great director. As a, as a white woman in my 50s mm -hmm. who grew up on the left, you know, and I bought the right. whole feminism thing all the way back because I was raised mm -hmm. in the feminist era in the 1970s. And I went through all the shit in the 80s and 90s mm -hmm. and all of that empowerment stuff and all that Oprah stuff and all that. You know, we need to serve ourselves and we need to make ourselves happy and we need to be f fulfilled in every way in our lives. And, you know, we just were like witches, you know, hunched over a cauldron Stirring a witch's, <laughs> stirring a witch's of, brew, uh, and and listen, <laughs> and at the end of the fucking rainbow, walking the whole yellow brick road is emptiness, because we bought the line, and we 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 bought into this idea that we can have it all, and that when we do, that's going to make us happy, and that anything that doesn't make us happy has to be scrutinized and changed and fixed because our happiness matters more than anything else. And mm -hmm. if we're not happy at all, then we're traumatized, you know, like that Barbie monologue. It's like, you know, how much more whining can women possibly do about their situation in life? It's like, get on with it. You know? <laughs> it's like, just get on but, with well, it. You know, just to be a uh, devil's advocate or turn the other cheek. That male version of, of uh, America Ferrara's uh, rant was, wasn't too bad. You know, I was pretty much on the mark. No, it was so, great. In it, fact, I, there's hope because my daughter sent that. Uh -huh. to, my daughter sent that to me, you know, under, yeah. under cloak of darkness, of course. Her friends could never know. But, <laughs> you know, she agrees with me because I was explaining to her how hard <laughs> it is for a man to, to mm -hmm. you know, grow up in America right now and, and how hard it is and, and how they're blamed for everything. And it's the flip side of all this female empowerment stuff. But the female empowerment stuff really was a dead end um, uh -huh. because it doesn't take you anywhere. If you're just serving your own pleasure, then everything is wrong. You know, the food is wrong at the restaurant. The car is wrong. The president is wrong. Mm. You know, my clothing is wrong. The food is wrong. And, you know, at some point you have to just sort of face yourself.
You know what I mean? And that's a really hard thing to do. But teaching women that their purpose in life is to serve themselves and to find happiness and empowerment is absolutely the wrong message. You find happiness and worth in work, um, you know, in your job, in, in what you contribute to the world and in people you in help. In the spirit and in the Bhagavad Gita or, or even if you want to be a Christian in, in, in matters of the spirit, you serve yourself. Yeah, or or your or your family. You know, you could be a mother, you can be a grandmother, you can be a teacher, you know. But mm-hmm. but this idea of like the Chelsea Handler way of life of like, you know, I'm just serving my own pleasure. Listen, it's fine to be a um hedonist and to, you know, spend your life in pursuit of pleasure. There's nothing wrong with that. But it is wrong when you expect the world to be all remade to address your specific needs, I think, as as older women have done. And and I think mm. all of us coming out of the 80s and 90s, you know, mm-hmm. th- through this era, I think that, that we're, we're finding ourselves now at this point where it was a lie. It just, it, none of it ever worked out for us. Like, and they'll say, oh, speak for yourself. I'm happy getting my pedicure and sit here. I don't think so. I don't think you're happy. I really don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just don't. Just again to play devil's advocate. You're saying that the whole, listen, I'm not going to be looking for some relationship to make my life whole and fulfilled. And I'm certainly not going to depend or expect that some guy who I think is very good in some respect, but is an asshole or a child in other respect. I'm certainly not going to expect that guy to uh, to make my life whole or make me feel better. Uh, so I don't, I, you know, I don't know that it's a lie. That the feminist no, it's a lie. About, and and okay. I'm not because what what happens is women get into marriages with men and then they sit there and complain about it the whole time. My husband this, my husband that. And the thing is, is that I asked my therapist one time about it. I was like, you know, why am I still single? Why are all these people in marriages and stuff and not me? And he's like, because they settle. And he's right. And and we were taught as women for the last 20, 30 years not to settle ever, to mm-hmm. always ask for the perfect man, right? Just like that monologue. He has to be, you know, wealthy. He has to be sexually interested in me 24-7 for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And, if and he, he has to be a girly man. And he has to be <laughs> on top of that. <laughs> he has to listen to me and my problems. He has to stop everything he's doing and look at me and listen when I'm going to talk about some fight I had on Twitter, you know, and it's like men and women are different, but I find that the women who are happy in their marriages are women who accept their husbands as they are, are grateful for them, don't try to change them and are happy, you know, just to have a warm body to sleep to, uh, sleep with at night. And listen, it doesn't sound that bad to me, honestly. Mm. And I feel like, you know, chasing your own pleasure and your own, your own happiness and all that just specifically is a dead end. I think that you find happiness in your relationships with other people, but just flat out. And listen, I love being alone. I'm a total. And also I would say your relationship with Sri Krishna, with God, with Herman Hesse, with Jesus of Nazareth, whatever it is, but the spiritual is a very, very profound and, and deeply important uh, aspect of anyone's life. Yeah. I mean, under any guise, uh, you know, I think if you, if you have that, you're lucky. I don't, but I think that if you do, you're lucky and that there is a communal thing to religion. It, It is the thing that ties you, you know, to other people. And I find that my group of people, like let's call them Hillary supporters, 
We tended huh? to be feminist, atheist, educated, wealthy yeah. women who served ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, what united us was this, you know, kind of shared whining um, about everything we weren't getting out of life and what victims yeah. we were all the time. I know this sounds really controversial. And the only reason I'm even bringing it up is because I was thinking about it vis-a-vis something totally unrelated to what we're doing. But it just mm-hmm. it just came up to me um, trying to, you know, figure out this idea of these women that we that I know that are my age that are similar in sentiment. You know, that the is that all there is kind of mm-hmm. um, philosophy. And I think that it it does require you to get over yourself and start thinking about life in terms of you know. We're, we're sort of, we're, we're clan based, we're family. You get fulfillment out of your granddaughter. You get mm-hmm. fulfillment out of your son, your friendships that you have. Yeah. You know, and, and all that really matters. You know, it matters who, you, who the people are that you know as you get older, honestly. Um, and you're never going to get yeah. it online. You're never going to get it by being, look at poor Madonna. Like, you know, she proves that at the end of the day, you could have as much money and fame um, and power and everything, and it can just all be it can all be taken away from you if the only thing you value is you know the the status that you once had, which is in her case it was you know alpha female that everybody loved and admired and and you know was sexually attracted to and and she couldn't handle it when she got older because it was taken the thing that she valued the most was taken away from her. Well, that is uh, every famous person, every accomplished person is obliged to come to terms with things change. And, you know, you have your peak period and you have to gracefully, I think, uh, accept that, you know, it's just not going to stay that way. And you're going to be in a kind of a point where you realize, well, okay, that was wonderful. And I was very happy and very lucky for for that period in my life to have happened but i accept that it, it you know other people will have to push their way in and i'm not going to i'm not that person anymore at least in the eyes of fans at least uh, you know things change and you have to adapt it's you know it's, it's grace you have to have capacity there to be graceful about yourself about about the ups and downs the potholes yeah and all that stuff. But I look you know? at her and I look at Britney Spears and I think, you know, they're chasing happiness and happiness is elusive and it's not something that you can ha- acquire. It, it's not a permanent state of mind, you know. Um, when you bring you- up Britney Spears, though, you're talking, I suddenly, every time I read about her, she's always doing something that makes me wonder, is she okay? Does she have a, a core of stability or serenity? For that matter. And well, I, I mean, I wonder. feel the. I feel like Madonna's in the same boat. I feel like these are women who once had the world's attention in the ways that they wanted, and then when it went away, it was really hard for them. I was, I was, I saw a TikTok video of Britney Spears doing her dance that she did back in the in two thousand mm-hmm. after her kids after her breakdown, and she showed up and she was in this rhinestone outfit, and she looked a little bit heavier than she did before. And Mm -hmm. they showed the press reaction to her. They showed like Keith Olbermann and people like that laughing at her and calling her fat. And they were being so harsh on her. And I was thinking, God, what a change. What a huge change between who we were then and who we are now. Nobody would dare talk about Britney Spears that way today. But it's just, I mean, it, it does show you what 
what both these women went through being, and you know, Marilyn Monroe, Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley. I mean, it's hard to have that amount of attention and love and then just have it go away. Anyway, I don't know how we got on this subject, but it doesn't abruptly go away as we all, as we both know, it gradually fritters away. It, it, you lose it particle by particle. And, you know, <clears throat> any person who's been right at the top and knows what adulation and feeling that creative current, just the engine humming like a, like a perfectly tuned voice, Rolls Royce engine. When that starts to go away, it goes away very, very interventionally. But there's no question that it's happened. And, and uh, that's why I'd say I'm, I'm surprised that people. You know, it's not like it's a shock. All of a sudden, whoa, guess what? It's gone. No, mm-hmm. it, it goes away over a period of many years. And, and uh, you know, there's the example of other famous people. They all, uh, you know, try to adapt or try to uh, accept that there was. Yeah. What about the poor, the poor, the poor guy? Uh, I don't mean to say the poor guy, but, uh, you know, what's his name from American Pie? Uh, you know, the, the cute looking guy who was like really happening big time. Uh, when he he made uh, the first American Pie, and then he made Dude, Where Where's My Car, and uh, and other. You know who I'm talking about? Mm-mm. I guess we both don't know. We can't. We can't. Name I don't know him. who uh, you're so. talking about. <laughs> but um, but he had. He, some people only have like a five minute window, or a or a one year window, or a two year, or a three year. Most big stars, as as you know, I did a study of this one time. They all have about 10 to 12 years where they're really up there. Uh, and they have, you know, that, that show what you're made of, make the movie you really want to make, make all the money, get your home, get your bank accounts and your homes, and your real estate all. And then it's going to start going down. It always does. And very few people uh, last for more than Lawrence Olivier is an exception. Cary Grant was an exception. He'd lasted for 25 years, which is pretty amazing. But most people, 10 to 12, and some only five, some people only three or four, you know, Mm. you can't expect or uh, assume that you're, it's going to keep going. Yeah, Um, I know. But I mean, I I look at somebody like Isabella Rossellini, who was beautiful. How long did she have? Well, she was, she was beautiful at one point, but now in her older age, she's found fulfillment and happiness in her farm that she has and the animals that she has and this little bed and breakfast she's running and her family. She's Where is seen, that? Where is the farm in the B&B? Um, I think it's in the Hamptons. She's on... Um, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, no, she's on She's on uh, Instagram. And I'm just saying that, like, I think that happiness comes from something else other than serving your own happiness is my point. You know, like... I don't think Madonna's ever going to find happiness because I think that what she wants, she can never have back, which is her youth. And when you say she never found or that she was having a dip, you're principally speaking about the extreme plastic surgery she went under, right? Is that what you're... Well, what, I, yeah, that, but also her career, her whole career of being so hungry for people's attention and love and doing mm. everything she can. I mean, you know, you could say the same thing about Trump. You know, it's 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 this endless need for for this input of of people's attention, and right. it's never enough because it could never replace whatever it is that you have missing inside you. You know, um, you know, I I read I um, read a script about seven years ago or eight years ago. I think it was called Material Girl, and it was about her, and um, it was very very good, very well written, and it was about how she basically 
used every guy who came along who liked her to get somewhere. And she really was hungry and she was a real um, go-getter. But she used people to get – she was going. Mm. Every famous person does this. You know, the only, Nobody does it in a pure way. They all move from one person to another. And it was a very, very – I came away from thinking, wow, she was quite the, quite the humdinger. And I didn't have a negative thing for her. But she hated it. She hated that script. And she said, no way, that's not me, that's a lie, it's bullshit. And then they spoke, came up with another one that I think Universal was going to be behind, and she was going to direct it. And I, I thought, oh, well, this is going to be very good because she's going to tell her version it's not going to be as good as the thing I read. And then that whole thing fell apart because, I don't know, they didn't get along with her or she wasn't. That's all to say that there's, she's a, a piece of work. <laughs> she's a piece of work, but, you know, her... She's she obviously has something missing deep, deep inside of her. And and it you know, that was obvious to me when I saw the movie Truth or Dare, because they talk about that. They talk about how when her mother died, you know, she just she lost something that she could never get back. And, you know, she might be missing that she might be missing the authentic love of a mother. I don't know. Like that's gobbledygook, it sounds like. But I think that fame is a dangerous road if it takes you to this to these dangerous places we're seeing with these people where even at the end of it, you know, there's nothing you can buy. There's there's oh, no yeah. trip you can have. There's no first class airplane ride or ju- expensive jewelry or house or pool or anything that can uh-huh. fill up that one essential thing that every human being needs because money stuff can't fill it, you know. Mm. It can't. It can't replace, as we learned from Citizen Kane, I mean, this is not a new idea. And Can I ask you something? Your 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 estimation of where your daughter's generation, Gen Z, so they are completely uninterested in contemplating stories about life as they are actually living it and the way it is like. Just well, that that is that is life. That well, think about their lives first of all. They they that's they do get that, but they get it on TikTok. They get it on YouTube. They get it on social media. They get it. They don't really need it the they same way. They want to way. see stories told in a cinematic form about their lives. They want they want to just see reflections of their lives in Well, I think that I think that um Barbie was. I think for them Barbie was did speak to their generation. I think everything everywhere all at once spoke to their generation. Um look, it's 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 everything that they think about. It's just that for us, you know, we're older and wiser. <laughs> And it doesn't interest us as much, you know, what they're interested in. Look, they're just starting out their lives. What do they know about anything? You know, Barbie and everything, everywhere, all at once were rooted in fantasy and mythology and um, martial yes, arts. Correct. And special effects and all that. So that's, I'm talking about, you know, the way it actually is. If you, your daughter, you hang out with her, you know, she doesn't go out with uh, and hang around and, and it, Special effects don't happen in her life. She doesn't talk to animals. She, you know, it's, it's life is life. And uh, you, you're saying that they have no interest in, in anything that reflects their actual day Well, I'm not saying they don't have... Look, at it's, it goes back to William Goldman. Nobody knows anything. Uh-huh. I think that, that one thing I've learned, I, I would have expected Mission Impossible to do really well and, not, and Barbie not to do as well. The Ooh. fact that both Barbie and Oppenheimer are doing so well is surprising. It shows that most of us were wrong, or I was wrong. And so mm-hmm. I don't know, we don't know yet what Gen Z wants. They don't know until they give it to them, until they respond to it. They don't know what they want until someone blows their mind. You know what I mean? Just like in the 1960s, 
Uh, what year was The Graduate? 67. Yeah. Just like in 1967, nobody knew that they wanted The Graduate until they actually saw it. And then you're like, holy shit, what a movie. That speaks to me, you know? But they don't know a generational movie until it hits them in the face. And my daughter tells me that they all grew up in fantasy, baked in, because they were living their lives online as they came of age. So a lot of their reference points, as she points out to me, are these fantasy fan, you know, fantasy novels like Twilight and Harry Potter and, you know, things like that. They were, their reference point is fantasy. Well, Um, I understand that you can be enraptured and taken by fantasy, but what does it say about how averse you are to your actual life, the way it really is? Well, my daughter was very, my daughter was very moved by that monologue, that America Ferreira monologue. I I personally thought that. Well, that that was real life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she was, she thought it was great, and and it really yeah. she, she responded to it. That's why she sent me that monologue from the male perspective. Right, right. Because that does grapple. I think what what they're actually grappling with right now that'll never get talked about is the woke stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the woke stuff. The 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 barriers they have in terms of exploring different ideas and stories and. How they always have to wake up every day feeling shame, feeling shame mm-hmm. about what they want and right. what they think and everything, because they grew up in a culture of shame, shaming them for everything. And so I think that, you know, sooner or later, some storyteller is going to come along like Barbie or whatever and, and blow their minds. And then they will see that a movie is relates to them and the life they're living, you know. <clears throat> this is just an old riff of mine, but the reason I was bringing all this up <clears throat> And I, I said this about maybe 10 years ago. I saw it five years ago. That what if, what if there were a, a new crop of kitchen sink movies about Gen X and, and millennials and their actual vibes? Yeah. That reflected the way it really is, as, as all those Albert Finney and, and uh, you know, Alan Bates movies from the early 60s. That would be so great. But they, they don't seem to have the slightest interest in that kind of thing. I think they I would mean, if it no they would honestly if it if it hits in the right way. Mm-hmm. I think that unfortunately I noticed this about 20 years ago. I noticed there was a big problem with American storytelling. And I mm-hmm. noticed it while watching the shorts and the Oscars, the live action shorts specifically where you had filmmakers we have we have like hundreds of film schools all over the country and yet all of the shorts, the only good ones were in every other country except America. The shorts were from Ireland, from, you know, Iraq or wherever. And they were, all of them knew how to tell stories. And yet our storytellers did not know how to tell stories because they were modeling their work after Scorsese and, and, and Tarantino. And they Uh were, they were going for more visual razzle dazzle rather Uh than just understanding the basic tenets of storytelling. Right. And I think that everybody responds to that all the time. And, um, and I think that that's what they're missing. But I think, once somebody brings it to them and shows it to them, like Mike Nichols did with The Graduate, it'll change their life, you know, mm-hmm. once they see it on screen. Like when I saw Annie Hall, you know, I related to her in a way that I had never with a film character. You know, cinema is either going to turn you on or it isn't. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's something that they that they know Hollywood can figure out with Gen Z. I really don't. Yeah, yeah. All right, so just to bring it down to the most banal level, I was just did a, a riff on the um, Oscar prospects of Barbie, and I my feeling was that 
because it became such a big thing, not yeah. just a box office hit, but it connected in, in a way that nobody really was expecting, and it became a, a cultural thing in and mm. of itself. <clears throat> I think it's going to be definitely be a Best Picture nominee, but I don't think people really see it in, in a real uh, – seriously embrace it as a best, best picture type movie, but it certainly will be nominated in respect or tribute to, to what happened, what has happened, what is happening right now. So I, I think that's, and then after that, pure tech, you know, the production design and whatnot, and maybe, I don't know, maybe America Ferrara supporting or something because of that grant, that speech she, she gives, but that's about it. I don't see, uh, I don't see Greta, I don't see um, Margot Robbie, uh, but you know maybe. What do you think? Uh, I think it's across the board a strong contender. A I, strong contender is this one that could actually win. Best no, picture? no. That'd well, I don't know about winning. I mean, <clears throat> maybe, but I think it's it's wow. picture, director, screenplay, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, all the text. I think you're looking at ten nominations for Barbie at least. I'm being kicked out of here. Sorry. Oh. What is it? You want to move the chairs, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry. They're moving the chairs. Okay. <clears throat> I'm at this wonderful little uh, highway girls coffee shop. Neat. So, sorry. Anyway, it's um, very I'll, nice. I'll tell you what my predictions are right now for Best Picture because they just started Gold Derby again. And um, I put in my prediction, so let's see um, what I put down. Uh, I, I disagree with that person that you quoted from Oscar race, whoever that is. Uh, I don't think... It's just a Reddit person. Yeah, no, I know, but I, I disagree with that because, um, first of all, the actor's strike is going to change the race from here on out because a lot of movies are going to have a harder time opening. They're not going to have the celebrities to push. They're not going to be able to do publicity. They're not going to have anything. So they're just going to have the movie. That's going to be really, really hard for all contenders um, to compete. So that's the first thing. And unless the thing ends by fall, and if it ends by like October or whatever, then they do have a chance. But think of all those publicity events they have heading into the Oscars with screenings and uh, interviews and this and that. And they can't do any of that if the strike is on. So, so that automatically narrows the race significantly. But here's my best pictures. You think that Napoleon and the Michael Mann film uh, and and David Fincher's they're all they're all gonna like bump themselves because of the strike? Do you think? I think some films are gonna bump to 2024, but I don't uh -huh. think that I don't think isn't the killer going to Venice already? Um, I think it is. Yeah. All right. I have to I have to make room for the movie. Sure. I hope it goes to tell you right. But then didn't you say that's out of the question or something? It's not going to tell you right. No. What a drag. Why? Well, you know, why would it major, be? Major director. Why? Why do we have to say, oh, no, can't go to tell you right. Well, why, why don't you ask tell you right people that question? Oh. Um, because they don't, you know, and we had this conversation already about tell you right. Right. Um, that. You're saying that there, that Julie doesn't want the David Fincher, the killer film, to be at no, her festival? No, I, I don't think it has anything to do with Julie. I think that David Fincher and Netflix would not want it to go to Telluride. And the reason is oh, that... So it says something about their film? What, what do you mean? I don't... I think that there's a thing... Well, first of all, Toronto has strong-armed the studios to pick one or the other. They can either have Telluride or they can have Toronto. 
and uh, and a lot of them are choosing Toronto. Isn't that how it's been going for the last few years? And the second reason is that, as we talked about, the demographic at Telluride is older, white, wealthy, boomer, which is what the Academy used to be for my entire life until they started allowing in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of new members to change up their demographics. Yeah. And yeah. they brought in a lot of young, hip people, a lot of international voters, and they've obviously changed the game significantly. Um, and so those older voters that we used to depend on as the core of the Academy voters no longer uh, really dictate how the, the awards go anymore. So I don't know that Telluride is exactly still positioned as a, a major Oscar influencer it once was. Not to mention those guys killing Empire of Light must have made... It wasn't just Empire of Light. It was also uh, First Man did really well at Telluride, and then it bombed out by the time the Oscars came around. I think there's a fear of either overhyping at the Telluride or else being killed outright. Um, How by, about the overhyping of women, of women talking? <clears throat> that was a, Women that was talking, a, same thing. Uh, Telluride only it never never had a yeah. chance outside of Telluride and and many many people many of uh, the Oscar conversationalists were saying oh this is gonna this is one yeah. of the great this is really right. something we've got to get behind this it's complete delusion it's psychotic <laughs> I, I swear to god there was a moment I thought it could win best picture I'm not kidding you so I think that there's a chance that when, would, when did you believe that or suspect that? At some point, I really did. I thought because you were right last year, or what do you mean? Yeah, last year because I thought my my thinking was they're going to want to go for a woke movie, and they're going to want to pick the movie that people give a standing ovation to at SAG mm. Awards. But I forgot that women who are just white women aren't exciting enough for them. That there mm -hmm. has to be a racial component now. Mm -hmm. On some level, there has to either be a, a person of color or some <clears throat> something other than, I mean, the CODA won, but CODA was predominantly deaf cast. So, yeah, um, that pushed it through. But but look, I, I, I was ask something about the Toronto versus Telluride thing, because it's something that doesn't square with how I what I understand is if you go to Telluride first. You don't get to open to Toronto for the first five days. You can open on Tuesday, the second week, from Tuesday to the end of the week, but not the first five, which is when the media is really excited. That's what Green Book did. They didn't. They weren't a Telluride, but they did open on Tuesday. This is the you know five days or six days after it began. So that's what I understand is you don't get to open the first five. You can still go there. You still get you know people paying attention in the context of the Telluride of the Toronto Film Festival. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that if you get, go to Telluride first, you're completely blackballed by Toronto. You just have to take the second week. All so right. what's wrong with that? Well, I don't know. You talk to them. I'm just telling you my. No, I'm just saying. Look what happened with Green Book. They didn't have anything, and they and they exploded because it was it was what it was. It, it was I was there at that euphoric screening, and that was on a Tuesday. Uh, at the Elegant Theater, and it was like, there's well, no question it had something. And then, you know, look what happened. And look what they, happened. They tried to murder it, and they lost. They couldn't They couldn't kill it. That was quite they the year, quite the year of mass hysteria. That was fun. That was fun living mm -hmm. through. Let's have another year just like that one. Um, mm -hmm. No, but uh, I, let me read you my, my predictions for now. But, um, but I don't know. These are going to change. It's still very, very early. Uh, but, but most people at Gold Derby seem to have two movies at the top, actually three. 
let's count three. Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Past Lives. Those are the top three right now at Gold Derby. Oh, I have. God. <laughs> I haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon, so I can't judge. Um, but my, my assessment is that we're still in the midst of the white man scare at the Oscars. Um, I think that they're still not quite ready to hand over Best Picture to a, a, a white male, either directed or starring. Um, I could Which is be- why they like Past Lives, because they love the idea of yes. another Asian uh, director having made a, a good, sensitive film. So that's why it's up there at the top. Yeah. You know? Well, no, they put Killers of the Flower Moon up there because they think it's a it's a social. But remember, Martin Scorsese's helming that. So I don't know if if they're ready to give it to him. Look, the half. No, no, it's not. It's not Martin Scorsese. Who's that? We don't even we don't even know who Martin Scorsese is. Isn't yeah. he old? It's a it's a Lily Gladstone movie, and yeah, we have yeah, to yeah. celebrate it for that. You know. So. No, no, I get you. But I mean, I I do, do think that they're still in that mode. Um, I don't think it's over yet. Um, even though the half the directing duo last year was a white guy, um, I think that they're still very much the Jamie Lee Curtises of the world, and the you know they're still very woke. They're still very into the ideology. And and Jeff, honestly, you have to factor in the actors, and the actors are going to be very politically oriented because of the strike right now and that's all the more reason why they're going to be hardcore so anyway all of this to say i don't know how it's going to go but in an ordinary year yes oppenheimer and killers of the flower moon would seem like the top two contenders but again they're both directed by white men so i don't know i um don't think at the end of the day and i'm nobody is happier than i that Oppenheimer has done as well as it has done commercially and critically. But there's a, I think it's got probably a significant amount of people who feel as I do about that film and that they respect it more than they actually like it and they admire it more than they really loved it. So, you know, I don't know that it would be... It's a, it's a nomination movie, but I don't yeah, think it's... I have it at number one just because I'm sure it's going to get nominated, but I agree with you that it's not the kind of movie that wins. It's not... A scrappy, mm-hmm. scrappy underdog that Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. and the rest of the actors are going to stand up for at the SAG. Um, it's not a movie that they want to define themselves by. So I don't think it can win. Um, wow. But let me read you what I have. Anyway, it's it's a hard year to predict, except for the the, the very few ingredients I've given you. I would never, this time last year, I would never have predicted that everything everywhere all at once was going to sweep the awards season like it did. So you never know. Um, it, it, it is all about them. It's who they are. How like think Sarah, Jessica Parker, Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, think of how they want to be seen. I know I keep hitting Jamie Lee Curtis, but she really is like the epicenter of woke. Yeah. How they want to be seen, how they want to be reflected outwardly, and uh, that's how you find best picture. But right now, we're really just talking about nominations, not winners. So here's what I have for best picture, and we still don't know if Dune is going to be moving to 2024. Oh. I've heard that. Yeah. I've heard that Dune, Color Purple, uh, are going to be have moving. Have you actually looked at what the Color Purple is? It looks. It it looks pure. Purely a tokenistic 
a musical that basically okay this is a this is a an African American experience that we can get to redo the Spielberg version exactly with music now it doesn't seem like any kind of substantial no the, the key seems- the key to that movie is the redo the redo is what matters meaning all of the complaints about Spielberg was that it was it was uh, straight washed they 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 scrubbed out the gay. And, uh, and they eliminated the whole lesbian thing in this Spielberg yeah, movie, as I recall, much. right? They did. Yeah. And so this new one's going to be full-blown lesbian. It's got to be, right? Yeah. Um, but what, the only thing about it that I find exciting is the song, the singing. Like, when I hear the songs, I'm like, wow, that that is impressive. But okay. um, anyway, so here's... Well, that's a very marginal movie. That's not a substantial movie. I, I guarantee... I mean... The, I, I can just feel it. I, you know, Bill Maher. You don't don't ask me to prove it. I can feel it, and I know it. It's it's not it's not happening. It's wow. strictly an identity movie. It's no. Uh, they'll, no, they'll, no they'll, Jeff, they'll. I'm I, I'm just. It'll. Well, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, here's what I have: Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, Past Lives, The Killer, Barbie, The Color Purple, Holdovers, Maestro, Next Goal Wins, and Poor Things. What I really, happened to poor Napoleon? I want to put Napoleon in there, but which of those that I just named can I drop? Maestro? Uh, um, nobody's seen it. I mean, it's 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 a uh, probably pretty decent biopic of a interesting relationship between a gay man and a beard wife, and and all the you know, it sounds pretty interesting to me. I don't see <laughs> beard how you wife. get rid of it. No, same here. But I have to get rid of one to make room for Napoleon, and I don't know which why do you one. have to make room for Napoleon. That's what I'm asking. I'm not. I'm because not saying I, I know. Okay, anything let about me the movie. let me read them to you again and tell me which one I can drop. Oppenheimer, okay. Killers of the Flower Moon, Past Lives, The Killer, Barbie, The Color Purple, The Holdovers, Maestro, Next Goal Wins, and Poor Things. Wait, but what happens after Maestro? Next goal wins. Oh, forget it. No, that's completely it's... out of the question. That, mm-hmm. That's just another sports movie, you know. Oh, you know, hey team, we can get going, win the championship, or at least not get to be the last. That's that's not going to happen. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's totally going to happen. You'll see. Because of a because of a trans uh, a guy, right, <laughs> or a trans woman playing in the. <laughs> Come on. All right, all right. That's part of it. But I think I trust Taika Waititi to give a feel-good movie that people are going to... Okay, so let me read you what all of the um, Oscar predictors... goal wins. Uh, I don't think so. I really don't. All right, well, that's your opinion. I'm giving my opinion of what I think is going to get in. I I have a strong... Unless they... Well, they can't How many of those movies that you mentioned are strictly, or almost strictly, identity-driven? Ask yourself that. Be honest. You know, the, obviously, the, past lives is obviously color, next goal. If they, people are deranged enough to make that a best picture, I think and col- obviously color, color purple. purple is. How many others? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, it's still too early, Jeff. I haven't seen a lot of these movies, so I, mean, I colors the flower moon is identity driven because it's really it's the Lily Gladstone uh, explosion, the Lily Gladstone. Well, you look, look at you've, you've seen it. I haven't, so I feel I don't feel comfortable being adamant at this moment about these movies if i know that that when i see them everything's going to change let me read you what the gold derby people in general have predicted this is this is all the combined predictions the odds put together for top 10 killers of the flower moon oppenheimer past lives the color purple dune part two barbie 
The Zone of Interest, The Holdovers, Maestro, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That's their top ten. I don't think Spider-Man's getting in. I think that the only one that I think are really substantial are The Holdovers, which I know that Alexander Payne is first-rate writer-director, and it seems to be a good family movie about a a kind of a, a aloof not very warm or friendly jerk of a professor learning learning to uh, figure to a to a to a problematic kid. That sounds like it really works. That's a family movie, so that seems like it's really going to happen. And I don't know how people can throw out what looks like a really excellent period thing with, with Joaquin Phoenix, Napoleon Bonaparte, yeah. even though he's twenty years too old to play him. It looks pretty 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 formidable. It really does. Napoleon looks good. So does Ferrari, Michael Mann's Ferrari. I heard, by the way, uh, my the word is not great on that from what oh. I picked up somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, oh, I, I'll tell you what it is. I didn't pick it up. It just David Poland made the reasonable con- conclusion that any movie that ends as a closer, that in itself is a something of a damning thing. Really? Yes. If a movie is uh, at a film festival is closing the film festival. It always means there's a little bit of a problem. It always does. Yeah, but you you always say that it's the opposite, that the film opening it is the bad one. Well, that's true. (laughs) It (laughs) should be a centerpiece, honestly. Um, uh, That's true. Uh, The opener tends to be soft, but there's never a a great thing to be a closing. I mean, I'm not saying it means absolutely anything, but for instance, Social Network, when it had big uh, New York Film Festival debut, that was a... Uh, middle of the festival uh, thing. That was a you know, centerpiece or something. It was not an open and certainly wasn't a close. Well, let's just, I mean, it's only uh, July, so we haven't even started Oscar season proper. Everything's going to change in the next couple months. Most of us haven't seen these movies. Nobody. And also, remember that people are so sick of Adam Driver being in every fucking movie that comes along. Yeah. And I think he's, he's over, he's overplayed it. He's in everything. And I really don't want to um, get too excited about another Adam driver film. So I think that plus the possible, you know, who knows about um, um, Ferrari itself. I wouldn't be too confident about that. Mm. Saying. Um, I, uh, it's, it's always important to go back and look at July and see what people were predicting, you know, last year or whatever to see, mm-hmm. uh, I like to do that to see how, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how accurate, you know, people were back in the day, but, um, mm-hmm. it's not easy to find that, but here's awards watch for best picture, July 28th, 2022. Uh, the Fablemans, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, which was moved to the next year, Babylon, Bardo. <laughs> it's like, that was a reasonable thing to say, Bardo, given Alejandro's uh, track record. It just happened to be. Oh, well, one, let me finish. The first okay, one so then, that kind of didn't work that well. So, so at least then, in people's opinion, not mine, but. Others He's very, Eric very smartly put everything everywhere all at once at number five. And yeah. then Women Talking bombed out. The Sun yeah. bombed out. Empire of Light bombed out. The Whale yeah. not nominated. And then mm-hmm. Avatar The Way of Water at number 10. So he's only got The Fablemans, 
and everything everywhere and oh women talking did make it in didn't it women talking in avatar for, for, did it won a um adapted screenplay correct? but that just shows you how things can so dramatically change how strong we were all on babylon and bardo and the sun and empire of light well, like nobody had seen babylon when he well, wrote exactly that in that's my point we're predicting movies we haven't seen so we can't know anyway yeah. so he has 11 he has tar where that got in Triangle of Sadness, that got in at number 12. And then down at 14, he's got Banshees of Anna Sheeran. 15 is Elvis. 16 is She Said. 17 is White Noise. 18 is The Pale Blue Eye. 19 is Top Gun Maverick. And 20 mm-hmm. is Decision to Leave. So he, And then he goes, Other Contenders, and All Quiet on the Western Front is one of those. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Did that get in? I can't remember. Um, anyway, so it just shows you how off we can be early on, uh, with these movies without having seen them. Like we really don't know. We have to just understand that we're just spitballing it and we know nothing, uh, right now. So it's fun to spitball, but it's also important to remember that, uh, what you, what you see, uh, as Bob Dylan would say, what looks large from a distance close up ain't never that big. Mm -hmm. Yep. So let's can talk- we switch over? And I, I, can you please tell me a little bit more about Isabella Rossellini's Airbnb uh, business and yeah. in the Hamptons? I didn't know anything about that. Yeah, she she runs this little um, hotel in the Hamptons. She she just I, I don't think I've ever seen like a former celebrity that seems more happy to me than she does. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know she hasn't held on to her 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 looks, you know. She's not exactly, you know, she's not trying to chase and hold on to her her youth and her beauty from her old days. She's just herself, you know, happily herself, you know, aging. But she's got this beautiful farmhouse and she's got a daughter and she's got a son. Her son is gorgeous. I think he's adopted because he's yeah, he must be adopted. He's I think he's he's a model, um, but he's black and he's um, got these big, bright blue eyes. Uh, anyway, it's just Isabella Rossellini on Instagram and she, okay. and she, I'll find it. she brings yeah. people to her, um, to her little house in the Hamptons and they can stay there. They can rent. And she, you know, she has like eggs from her chickens and, you know, <laughs> like she's just really, and, and she mm-hmm. takes pictures of her, her, her eggs. She has ducks, she has pigs, she has horses, she has all kinds of animals and she's always putting them. I mean, I have never seen somebody who's older who looks happier to me than her. Even in her absolute heyday of the 80s, and I remember meeting her and talking to her briefly at a party back in 82, maybe. Even then, she was not some, she did not have a artificial, uh, overly glitzy glamour. She had a very earthy, natural look about her. Um, you know, obviously her mom, to some extent, uh, obviously her, her father, Roberto Mussolini, and the whole Italian cultural thing that I think is part of her life. But I, I think she's a, she, she was a very, very interesting, nice person. Yeah. Me. I mean, she seems like it. And I, I always watch her because, you know, never get the feeling when you're looking at her Instagram that, I mean, she, 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 she puts up pictures of herself when she was young and beautiful. How could you not? But she doesn't seem somebody who mourns who she used to be like madonna Mm -hmm. like madonna does you know i i followed madonna my whole life and 
you know, I always thought of her as daring and brave and, uh, and she's not now that I see her facing down old age, you know, look, old growing old isn't for sissies. (laughs) Like it is not easy to grow old. Um, and she's not handling it well. And I, listen, I'm, I'm not, I really do think that plastic surgery is, is a thing that you should definitely think about, but yeah, you have to do it right. You have to be careful and just do little touch-ups, little, 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 and if you do it right, it's not like a big thing. Oh my God, no. what has she done to herself? You know, but if, if, if you do it carefully and, and subtly, it's fine. It yeah. Really if is. you're, if you're looking to just sort of take the edge off, like a little bit, like I, you know, dye my hair, dye the gray out of my mm-hmm. hair, for instance, or whatever. Yeah. Or if you're just trying to go 10 years younger, 20 years, mm-hmm. younger. but she's trying to go back to her twenties or something like she's trying to look like she did. And, and it's just, it's not possible. And she looks weird. And I'm sorry, mm. that's a horrible thing to say, and I feel bad, but I just look at her and I just feel so sad. Because mm. I just think, D- girl, you're never going to get it back. And it doesn't matter to her because she has so much love online anyway. Mm-hmm. And she has a huge fan base, so it doesn't make a difference to her one way or the other. That's all she really cares about. Mm. But um, but I'll, my only point to this is that chasing your own personal fulfillment and happiness um, isn't going to make you happy in life. Because it's just not a constant thing. You know, Jeff, if you look back at your life and you look at all the ways you were struggling and all the different experiences that you had and all the places you've lived and all the jobs, and you always felt like you were preparing for something, or I did anyway, like at some point, my I'm going to get my life together. At some point, I'm going to have everything that I have been working for. And it's just not true. And your whole life is everything that you were doing, trying to prepare for the next mm. thing, you know, and that was your whole life. And if you can just be happy with where you are, with who you are, then I think you do find the happiness that you seek. If you can just understand that it's not, you know, it's not a constant state of fulfillment. Can I just interject uh, an observation? You and I have exchanged opinions about about writing our respective columns. And I have told you that I feel at felt sometimes that particularly since I started my actual own thing back in 04, which was 20 years ago, uh, as of uh, as of this coming as of next month, actually this month, it's August. We're just about there. I'm at the 20th anniversary, and um, it's been the best time of my entire life. You've said that you're delighted with where you are, uh, column wise and, and expression wise. So you know, you say it's not. You know, it, you have to be hung, happy with all stages where you happen to be. There's no big payoff. You respect. I think you have your big payoff right now. It's all your years of writing and living, and it's quite, quite rich, good, really good stuff. And well, I think thank that you. you. Should, uh, I, I don't take a bow for that because it really well, is. You know, particularly writers when they get to be older, you, you know, you're really in your prime. So. Well, thank you, and I, I um, back at you. I feel like you do. The thing that you and I have in common is that both of us are just working mm-hmm. all the time. We wake up and we work. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And, and I find fulfillment right. in that. I really do. I find fulfillment in that. I'm not saying I'm not unhappy. I'm just saying that, I mean, I'm not saying I'm unhappy. What I'm saying is that that idea that we were chasing, um, that, that you can get there through, you know, all of these these various ways that we all believed 
uh, led to fulfillment. I don't think that 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 happens. I think you find fulfillment in work, and I think you find it in in how you contribute and the people that you know and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm not saying anything, you know, mind blowing. Everybody already knows mm-hmm. this stuff, but this came out of a, a a conversation we were having earlier about women, you know, about <laughs> older women who are. Mm-hmm you know, who are desperately unhappy in their later years. Um, I find my own personal happiness in everything that I think and write. And I'll be very sad in the day when I lose that, my ability to do that. How's that going to happen? Well, like, you know, Alzheimer's or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alzheimer. <laughs> Alzheimer, dementia, you know. Whatever it is that makes it harder for me to, um, I, I feel lucky that I have, I still have a pretty sharp mind, you know, at this age. Mm. I um, think it makes you sharp to be a writer every day. It's a, it's an excellent discipline. And I know some folks, listen, when I was at my 25th high school reunion, I saw my, my, my feeling was that every young person is about to go out to college, say 17, 18, 19 years old. They all have a gleam in their eye. And it's a gleam of expectation, excitement, yeah. yen for adventure. They can't wait. It's like you can, it, it really brightens their whole, their whole being, their whole soul. You can feel it and see it in their eyes. When I went to the 25th anniversary high school reunion, that gleam was in maybe – there was maybe 100 people there. I'd say maybe five people. Had the glee. They're they're X factor people. They were just they just still were couldn't suppress their curiosity, their interest in getting into that. You know, you could see it. They were happy, and the others were kind of sedate. They were kind of okay. We've got this figured out. We do this. We do that. You know, there was something lazy, not unhappy, but lazy, contented, not uh, not adventurous. Their spirit. And I yeah. said, wow, wow. This is the way it is when you get older, I guess, for a lot of people. I I don't know that it is. I think it's a flattening, especially if people are on antidepressants. You know, I know I know some people need to take them. I'm not saying that, you know, everybody should not take them. But I I think Mm -hmm. that that leads to a flattening of curiosity, especially. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I find that curiosity is the thing I think is probably the the most important trait in a human being that I value is curiosity. If you're curious... That's a great mm-hmm. thing to have. That's a great thing to be if you're always asking questions. And so I don't know what you'd be if you weren't curious. I guess you'd just be bored, you know, bored of everything. Uh, I, I think that is a kind of bored. And those people who figure, well, I've had my education. <clears throat> I've done four years. I got my bachelor's. Uh, and now I can, you know, try and enjoy my life. But, they, but the curiosity thing starts to drop. And if it doesn't ever drop, that's the serum of youth. That's the that's the thing that keeps you glowing and going. You know, John Houston said you don't even need an elegant education if you have curiosity. Oh, that's boy, that's all you need. I you know? so agree with that, especially now. You don't need to go to college anymore. We have mm. a, we have education at our fingertips. Um, all right. You know, it's funny um, because I don't have a car. I don't have. A, <clears throat> I do. I've been doing a lot of walking since I've been here. And um, it's really lovely to get back into walking again because I, frankly, I'm as lazy as the next person, and I tend to drive every. Yeah. And, uh, it's very nice to be humping it along and walking two miles a day or whatever. 
Don't nice. you notice when you go to Paris how you have to walk upstairs all the time in Cannes and stuff? It's like they don't have escalators are not a thing in Can- in France. You know, they don't have like food at, at convenience stores and gas stores everywhere. Right. And, and you yeah. have to climb up all these stairs all the time. You're walking and, you, you know, you drop 10,000 steps just in a normal day. All righty. Okay. Have a good day and safe travels. Thank you. And thanks, thanks for listening. For urging me to do this, and I'm glad we did it. Yeah, and uh, and all like I said, I'm back tomorrow. So. All right, sounds good. Talk to okay, you later. Okay, take care. Bye. 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 Ok, je partiens. Quand il me prête dans ses bras, il n'est pas le tout bas, je vois la Get on with my journey.